0: Well, good morning, and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to have you guys with us here today. If it's your first time, we're just so honored to have you. Thanks for being with us. Hey, next Sunday is going to be a great Sunday. We're kind of kicking off the fall, and we're going to float into fall with some ice cream floats, y'all, okay? some ice. Did you? We're going to float. That's terrible. We're going to float into fall with some ice cream floats in here. We got a new series called You Asked For It, and you guys are going to have to help us with that because I want to answer your questions for the next couple weeks. I need some questions to answer, so go ahead and go on our website, gatherashville.org slash ask, and Put some questions in there and we'll see if yours gets picked. And uh, that's what we're going to preach on for the next couple weeks. I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. We're kicking off life groups next week. Oh my goodness. It's going to be a great week at the gathering. But you know what? Today is a great week at the gathering, church, too. It's Vision Sunday. Every couple of, uh, every six months or so, a couple times a year. We do Vision Sunday, Vision Sunday. We do it on our birthday and on our half-birthday. Where are my half-birthday people at? I know some of y'all are like, it's my half-birthday. I want half a cake. I want half a present. I want half of a good day. Somebody treat me right half the time. No? Is that just me? Okay. Well, it's our half-birthday today. You know, I remember it was just five and a half years ago. Five and, we're not that old as a church. We haven't, we, we're still in kindergarten we're still figuring out how to color inside the lines. And it was five and a half years ago. We were, we were meeting around this time of year, uh, getting everything ready. And every weekend was Vision Sunday. Because every message, every time we got together, I would just stand up in front of our core team, our, our, uh, our launch team, and just say, hey, let me tell you about what God wants to do in this church and in this city. And It is so important for us as a church to step back and take time to remember why we are here and why what we do matters so much. I want to take a few minutes today, really, just, just to remind us to take a, take a moment to step back and say, my goodness, how important is the church in the season that we are in? We need the church right now. So much. We're the local church, and the local church is the hope of the world. I want to start by taking just a moment to share with you something that I shared with the Dream Team last week. I want to remind you who the church is supposed to be, who we are supposed to be. The world needs us right now, church. They need us more than they have in a long time. There is so much hurt and pain and confusion right outside those doors, so let me talk for a second about who we are. See, the church has always been plan A. Jesus spent his time with the disciples, preparing them to lead the local church. He established the model and demonstrated the habit and the discipline. And in the days after he ascended into heaven, his disciples immediately began the work of establishing the church in very much the same format that we still use today. And since those humble beginnings Through the local church, the world has changed. It's different and it's better. Because of the local church, we have orphanages and adoption. Because of the local church, we have hospitals and charity. Because of the local church, people have been receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years. The church has endured many pandemics. It has endured wars, famines, times where... We could worship freely in times when the church had to meet in secret places. It has been attended by kings and presidents and emperors. And it has been attended by beggars and sinners and thieves. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his followers who they said he was. It was this anchor moment for him and his disciples. And Peter proudly declares to Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah who's come to save the world. And Jesus responds, and I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, Jesus is talking about the foundation that Peter has just laid, the good news that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, that he would save the world. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that authority given to Peter and the other apostles rests on us today, church. We are the church building on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his good news of salvation. And we continue the work here on earth that Jesus declared in Luke chapter four when he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah 61 and read it aloud. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Christian, did you know you are filled with the spirit of the sovereign Lord just as Jesus was filled? The same spirit that was on him is on you. Did you know that the anointing that was on him he's passed on to you he has sent me and now he has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort All who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Do you know how much the world needs us to be the church right now? Can you hear it? We will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's who we are. That's what the church is. In the last few hundred years of Israel's history, before Jesus came, the world was at its worst. The people of God had turned away from him. There was this remnant still worshiping God and keeping his ways, but the majority of his people had all but forgotten him. As a result, Israel was conquered and exiled and it started the order of events that led to Rome conquering Israel and the occupation and then the rise of the Pharisees. God had a prophet in those early days named Ezekiel. Ezekiel warned Israel about what was coming. And in his prophecy, towards the end of it, God says this through him. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. Because no one was there. Heartbreak, pain, war, Famine, hopelessness, fear, anxiety, sin, and shame came through that wall, unchecked. But that's not the end of the story, because God did send someone to stand in the gap. His name is Jesus, and today, it is us who carry on the work It is now our role to stand in the gap on behalf of our city. So that never again would God look for someone amongst us to stand in the gap and find no one. Church, when he looks to the city of Asheville, to the city of Fletcher, Hendersonville, Weaverville, goodness gracious, even Mars Hill. he will find us standing in the gap. I will stand in the gap for my family. I will stand in the gap for my friends. I will stand in the gap on behalf of my neighbors. I will stand in in the gap on behalf of my coworkers. I will stand in the gap for this city that I love so deeply. Will you stand in the gap with me, church? as we look to the most tumultuous, divisive, difficult season I've ever lived in, as we, as we see people letting their families be ripped apart, letting their communities fall apart all around them, as there's so much confusion and fear and pain all around us, I wonder who will stand in the gap. Gathering church, I think it's us. I think that's what we're created for, called to do. I think that's what we are in this city for this season, in this time, to do. As famine and war and disaster and disease threaten to destroy our world, we are going to get in its way. We will stand in the gap. And the way that we stand in that gap, it matters, it matters, it matters, it matters. Who we are as we step up into that gap, matters. I want you to know who we are as a church. Because I want us to do this the right way. I want us to make an impact on this city, I really do. I want us, I want your families to be different. I want your workplaces to be different because you were there to stand in the gap And so I want to talk for a second about the culture we carry as the Gathering Church, what it means to be a part of this community of believers, because our culture is what we live out, what we act out around the people that we encounter every day. It's what people feel when they come through the doors of this space every Sunday morning. It's what our life groups feel like when people are in others' homes throughout the week. And so I wanna talk about that culture for a second because culture, culture can only be created when it is lived out. That's what our core values are all about at the gathering. They help us have a roadmap for the culture that we wanna be as a people. So we've, we've talked about how important the church is. Now I wanna share with you what kind of church this is. At the gathering church, Jesus is our message that's kind of self-explanatory for a church, isn't it? But I don't know about you. I've been to a church before where it took us a long time to get to Jesus. It took us a long time to feel him. I, I, I want people who come into this place to experience what it must have been like to be in the room with Jesus. There was a culture that went with him everywhere that he went. There was a, a feeling of goodness and grace. We are a people of grace at the Gathering Church. Jesus is our message because we don't want him just to be a part of the sermon. We want Jesus to be at the very center from the parking lot to the stage, to the kids' rooms, to the coffee bar, everywhere we go. We want Jesus to be the first thing people not, not only hear about, but experience. The church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. And so the focus is Jesus He is the focus of the messages we preach, the songs we sing, and the prayers we pray. We focus on him because we believe that if people see Jesus for who he is, they will be captured by his kindness and grace and compelled to devote their lives to knowing and following him. Methods will come and go, but our message will always remain the same. Jesus is our message, and people are our priority We've been talking about this one as a dream team and as a staff a lot here over these last couple months. People are our priority. At the gathering, we're all about people. We believe people matter to God, and so they should matter to us. We believe that people are our greatest asset. We value people. We celebrate people. We invest in people. We develop and disciple people. We care for people, we love all people, no matter who you are. People aren't projects. They're precious to God and they are precious to us. We are a reaching church and an inviting church and a welcoming church because people are our priority. I think in this last year and a half, three years, five years, I don't know how long it's been now that we've been in this pandemic, people have slipped away from becoming our priority, and we've made ourselves our priority. I just see it all the time. We got so used to thinking about ourselves in isolation that at some point we forgot that people are meant to be our priority. People became something to fear for some of us. Can't get too close. Please, why are you talking to me in this grocery store right now? No, I cannot help you find your kid. Get away. People became something to avoid. People became an object to vilify. And now, it's some of us, people are an enemy to combat. People are a problem that we have to fix. People are a disaster waiting to happen. Church, people are our priority. We care about people. Every person is a soul in desperate need of healing. Every person that we encounter is an opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they believe. And goodness gracious, it don't even matter who they vote for. People are our priority. They always will be. In this church, we put importance on the things that Jesus values. And as I study the scriptures, I can't see anything that he cares for more than the people that he loves. He'll tell stories about how the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who, or a man who sees a, a, treasure buried in a field and he goes and sells off everything that he has so that he can buy that field it's like a a a sheep that wanders away from the flock and the shepherd would leave all the 99 who are together and safe behind to go and pursue the one people are our priority that's who we are as a church family is our culture Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love each other. That's just, I think if people, if the outside world were to gaze upon the church right now, that's what they would say. You know what? They really love each other. They really love each other. I don't think they would say that at all in a lot of reasons. Church. Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples by how well you love one another, by how well you love people. He washed feet. He got out and got around the people, society said, you're not supposed to touch them, you're not supposed to talk to them. There was this moment where he was loving people and caring for people and his mother and brothers were trying to get to him and the the people said, hey, your mother and brothers are trying to get to you, Jesus, and Jesus said, no, this is my mother's, this is my brother's, this is my family here. Over and over again, this language of family is used throughout the scriptures to describe the people of God. I believe that going to church should feel like coming home. It's a family built on love. It's a place to belong. It's a place to be yourself. It's a place to let your guard down. We're not a family that's closed off to new people coming in. I think about it like this: you know, the 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 siblings in the family, their, their role is to add to the family. Sometimes they they get married, they have kids. The family grows and grows and grows the more people they bring into it. See, we are, our, our family has a father. It has, it has a, a father who has children, and as the siblings, as the children of God, we are the family that is always growing and always adding and always caring for one another. Family is our culture. Humility is our posture. The Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think as a church, we wanna be the kind of people who always take a posture of humility. We never walk into a conversation with the assumption that we're right. We never walk into a conversation with the assumption that all we've gotta do is show this person how wrong they are. We ask questions. We admit when we don't know it all. We are quick to admit when we are wrong. We apologize and we think of others before ourselves. Vulnerability is our strength at the gathering, we think it's okay to take your mask off. Not those masks. (sighs) Some of us had masks on a long time before COVID-19 came around. Some of y'all complained about wearing a mask in church, but you've been wearing a mask in church all your life. Uh Uh-oh. Out there smacking the kids in the car on the way into the parking lot. Shut up right now, sit down. Hey Pastor, how are you? Good to see you this morning. Here's my beautiful little angels. Look at them coming. We've at the pastor. <laughs> we we developed this culture at some point over history where we think we've got to be a mess in our normal lives. But when we get to church, better button up that shirt. Better get your hair combed right. Better get it on. Better get in there and just worship God and smile and then get in your car and cry. That's not who we are as a church. This is a church. This is a church where you take the mask off. Where you can be vulnerable, where we don't believe vulnerability is a weakness to hide, but it is a strength that helps us grow. James 5:16 says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. See, I believe healing comes from vulnerability, not just from admitting our mistakes, but also from admitting our fears and our guilt, our insecurities, our doubts. I think the only way that we can truly be known the way we crave, you know, we crave to be known. We desire it. We want someone to know who we really are. We spend so much of our lives simultaneously hiding who we really are and desiring someone to know it. The only way that we can truly be known is to take the mask off, is to let somebody in, to be honest. So there's no room for fake here. There's no room for gossip here. Gossip and vulnerability cannot exist in the same culture. Oh goodness gracious, goodness help you, if you bring up some gossip around me, I will shut it down so fast your head will spin. Gossip and vulnerability cannot exist in the same culture. We're vulnerable. We believe you're only as strong as you are honest. We believe vulnerability is a strength. Our life groups are so important. They're so important because this is the space for this. We don't expect you to walk into church on Sunday morning and the second a greeter says, how are you? Say, oh boy, I am so glad you asked. You would not believe what just happened to me. If you need to do it, do it. But we believe that life groups are the space for you to let it all out, to drop your guard, to admit it, To say it in an environment where someone can hear it, to hurt with somebody, to heal with somebody, to find freedom alongside somebody else. Our life groups are so important because this is the space where vulnerability is best exercised. Next, initiative is our obligation. Initiative is our obligation. We cannot wait for someone else to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. We cannot wait for someone else to solve the problem that we can see. We cannot wait for someone else to come up with a better solution. We cannot wait for someone to initiate a friendship with us. We cannot wait for somebody to force us to find freedom. And we cannot wait for somebody else to come show us what our purpose is. Initiative is our obligation. Initiative isn't just important. We believe it's an obligation because too much is on the line for us to stand by and wait for someone else. James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. I believe initiative is our obligation. When you go into a life group, here's what I can do. I can create all the best uh, circumstances for you to have real community, a place where you can be vulnerable, a place where you can be known. I, I, can, I can set it up and set the stage just right, but I cannot make you have friends. You've got to take initiative for that. You've got to have a conversation. I'm so bad at first impressions. Anybody who has met me, you know it. Listen, I'm too much, too fast, too soon. I can't help it. I've, I've, I've had to learn How to strike up a conversation, ask questions, and listen. That's the hard part for me. I wanna tell you a story about something crazy. I've I've had to learn how to listen to people when I ask their name. That is hard, isn't it? Yes, tell me your name, and I'm already thinking about the next thing I'm gonna see, and your name is blank, and here's a story I have for you. Guess what happened? We got to take initiative. We got to learn how to build a relationship, learn how to start a conversation, learn how to follow up, get that phone number, go in there after those digits for the right reasons, not the wrong ones, and get somebody in your life. That's how you build community. Listen. Your spiritual growth, I can give you a lot of tools to help grow you spiritually. Y'all come in here and we will worship together and we'll learn from God's word together and get in a life group and you'll get people around you who are gonna ask you about it or, or lead you in it. I mean, I'll even have coffee with you and ask questions to help disciple you, but you are gonna have to take initiative for your spiritual health. When your spiritual health is bad, Don't just lay around waiting for somebody to check in. Go find somebody. I'm not doing well. I'll tell you what, I have felt pretty sick before and just laid on my couch wondering, why is that doctor not calling me? I do not feel good. You know, that doctor has not called me in months. How come he is not checking to see if I'm all right? I'm just gonna lay here and get sicker. That'll show him. I'm just gonna get sicker and sicker and sicker. Then I'll find a new doctor. Some of y'all, that's your spiritual life. You got to take initiative. You got to know when it's time to say, I need help. You got to know how to look for people who need help and say, Can I help? Initiative is our obligation. Initiative is our obligation and joy is our choice. Philippians 4 4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. I believe that joy is a choice to honor God no matter what our circumstances may be. We believe that we must take ownership of our attitude and choose to lead our emotions rather than letting our emotions lead us. It's not just putting on a fake smile, it's choosing to focus on the goodness of God and the joy of his salvation and his grace in our lives. We believe that our attitude and our spirit can affect the mood of a room or the culture of a team. And so we choose to be a breath of fresh air rather than suck the life out of a room. We believe that life and ministry should be enjoyed, not endured. We believe that one of the most attractive qualities of any individual or any team is a spirit of joy. So we have fun here, we laugh often. Joy is not based on my circumstances. Joy is a choice. I'm gonna tell you a funny story because joy is my choice and I've got the microphone. I was in the fourth grade, Ms. Gore's theater arts class. Y'all should know, I went to a school of the arts in middle school, okay? Guess what my core was? It was dancing. Just kidding. It was theater arts, Okay, so I had these theater arts classes, and everybody in there was a little bit dramatic, if I'm being honest. Okay, and so I was in there one day, and I was sitting in the back of the class, and I had a playmate cooler. Who remembers the playmate lunchbox? Come on, '90s kids, right? You you roll that top back, you know, and it's it's got that big triangle top. You roll that thing back. I'm sitting in the back of the class. I've taken the contents of the cooler and I've emptied it onto my desk, and I'm taking that cooler now, and I'm leaning back in my chair, and I'm putting this cooler. On on my head, and then tapping the kids around me, going, "Hey, hey, I'm George Washington." I don't know why. In my head, it looked like a George Washington hat, so I was like, "Hey, I'm George Washington." See? And I got this cooler on my head. Well, I'm rocking in my chair. Who remembers the rocking and your leaning back in the chair? And the teacher would keep saying, "Don't do that. You're gonna fall." but I never listen. And so I'm sitting there and I'm rocking back, coolers like sitting on top of my head, I'm being George Washington, and then I fall. And as I fall, my head slams into the wall that is behind me. When that happens, the cooler gets pushed all the way down over my head. It's my face is smushed, my nose is flat in there, it's painful, it's complete, it's my, I mean, it's down to my neck. No, my little fourth grade John Mark is there with nothing, just a red cooler for a head, and so, this is bad, you know, and I'm trying to get it up. I can't get it off. And so I'm like, Miss Gore, Ms. Gore. And she's like, what is going on, John Mark? You know, there's a ruckus going on back there at this point. She comes back and she starts pulling on this thing. Won't come off. Won't come off my head. She's got it. She's like pressing on my shoulders like, that hurts, Ms. Gore. And she's pulling on my head like, ow, you know. And finally she's like, you got to go to the nurse's office and get this figured out. like, I can't see. How am I supposed to go to the nurse's office? So I'm walking to the nurse's office with a really uh, overjoyed friend who's making fun of me the entire way. We get to the nurse's office and the nurse has like Vaseline and slides it up over my cheeks so that she can pull this thing off my head. So now my hair is a mess, my nose hurts, my face is super red, I have Vaseline on my face. So anyways, here I come. I got my lunchbox in my hand, and I come walking back into the classroom. Now look, there's just two ways this can go, right? You, you know, you, you could, I could walk in there embarrassed. Oh, my goodness, embarrassed. Cry a little bit. Ashamed. Everybody's going to look at me when I walk through those doors. Every single person is going to turn to see. I mean, I could just walk in there and try to crawl up in a shell and Hide. Or I could be John Mark, you know. So as I'm about to open the door, I take the cooler, I flip the lid back, put it on my head and say, I'm back. Listen, listen. Joy is a choice. It just is. You're going to get some coolers stuck over your face sometimes. I get it. Life can be hard. It's not all that joyful outside right now. I know that. I, I mean, goodness gracious, the news is not full of joy right now, okay? I know. But we can choose to hide and, and to be shy. We can, we, can, we can have our heads hung down all the time. We can mope around and just let it destroy us from the inside out. Or we can choose joy. Joy is our choice. I really just wanted to tell that cooler story. I don't know if that tied in or not. Generosity is our privilege, Generosity is our privilege. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper, but whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We believe that whatever we have has been given to us, and it is our privilege to share it with others. C.S. Lewis once said, Whatever blessings I have received in this life, I keep in my hands and not in my heart. Because when they are in my hands, they are easier to give away. I just think we we give with open hands. We believe that we should give cheerfully, regularly, and sacrificially. We believe that we should live our lives with open hands, always ready to give and receive. We believe in tithe and offerings not motivated by guilt, but motivated by grace. I richly give because I have richly received. Our church is not built on the generosity of a few, but on the sacrifices and on the generosity of many. We're generous not just with our finances, but with our time and our talents as well. God has given richly towards us, and it is our privilege as a church to give back to him. Generosity is our privilege, and serving is our calling. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest amongst you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. Serving isn't just what we do, it's who we are. We were made to glorify God and serve people. You've been uniquely gifted for it. Nothing will satisfy you quite like it. We believe that saved people serve people. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. At the gathering, we're contributors, not consumers. Serving is just not an option. It's our calling. We serve because he served us. Serving is our calling. And finally, the last core value, it's one of my favorites. Our city is our responsibility, isn't it? Because if we don't take responsibility for our city, who will? As a church, we're committed to being a movement, not a monument. We aren't here to be seen, admired, talked about. We're here to serve our city, to make it a better place than it was when we got here. We're here to step into the forgotten places and to see the people who have felt unseen and to bring hope and the light of Jesus into their lives and their hearts. I think so often we live our lives like someone else is coming, you know? Someone else is coming. You see that guy at the stoplight and he's got a sad story, sure, but that's someone else's problem, not mine today. The guy at the grocery store overshares with you a little bit. We've been there. Overshares about his life as he's bagging your groceries, and you're thinking that's somebody else's problem, not mine. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear it and walk away. Your next door neighbor doesn't know Jesus, they're great people, but they don't know him. But you know what? That's someone else's problem. Somebody should invite him to church for sure. Not me, I don't want things to get weird on Berry Hill Drive. <laughs> nope. We just live our lives so often like someone else is coming. But what if they're not? What if God is looking at the the people and the brokenness and the the hearts that need to be healed? And what if he's looking at, at those who are mourning and they're in need of joy? Well, what if he's looking at the captives so desperately in need of freedom? Here, not just in our city, but in your neighborhoods, in your families, in your businesses, in your homes. And what if he's looking at them and he's saying, who will stand in the gap for me? We can't afford to just expect that someone else is coming because God's asked it before and he found no one. Listen, listen, church. We have to live like no one else is coming. Like no one else is coming. Our city is not the responsibility of its government. Our city is not the responsibility of somebody else. Our city is our responsibility. If I have seen it, it is mine. If I have seen a need and I can meet it and I do not meet it, then for me it is sin. We've got to live like nobody else is coming because our city is our responsibility. That's who we are, Gathering Church. That's what you signed up for. That's what we're doing in here. This is the culture we're trying to live. This is who we're trying to be. I hope that if it's your first time and you came into this space, you felt some of that. I hope that you've seen some of it already because listen, we, we're, we, are, we are trying to make you feel like a priority in this space. We want you to feel like there's a family around here and one where you are welcome anytime. Y'all come back now, you hear? We are doing everything that we can to take the initiative to serve you well because serving is our calling. We're trying to have joy. We're gonna get vulnerable. We're gonna cry around this place sometimes. It's who we are. And I want you to know if it's your first Sunday in here, you're a part of my city and that means you're my responsibility. We wanna care for you. We wanna lead you. We want to serve beside you. We want to spend time helping you get to know the one who made you. We believe in a simple pathway, a simple pathway at the gathering. We teach it all the time. You'll hear me talk about it all the time in messages. We want you to know God. We don't, we don't want you to know about him. A lot of people know about him. We don't, we don't want you to know him like kind of a little bit from a distance. We want you to know God, to know him personally, to know him intimately, to know him like a father, to know him like a child knows their father. We want you to know him. We believe you don't have to do anything else. You you don't have to you don't have to get your life right. You don't have to organize everything first. You don't have to quit sinning first. You don't have to say you know I I've got to get my life together, Pastor, and then I'm going to get a part of this church. I got to get myself organized. I got two. You don't know me. You don't know all the things I got in my past. You don't you don't know all the mess that's back there. Once I take care of that, then maybe I'll get in. No 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 no. We, the first step for you today, we want you to know God to know Him know him. You can be known because of the work of Jesus on Calvary, on the cross you get to know him personally today. And then once you know him we don't want you to stay in your life of sin. We don't want you to stay covered in your guilt and your shame. We want you to find freedom. And we don't want you to just to find a little bit of freedom to, to start to feel a little bit better about yourself. No, 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 no. We want to get deep we want to find the roots. We want to dig them out. We want to make you feel whole for the first time in your life. At this church, we want you to find freedom. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. It's my favorite thing that happens in these walls is seeing the chains fall off and the doors swing wide. Is seeing the, the brokenhearted bound up again. Is seeing captives go running free. We want you to find freedom in this space, church, because once you have found freedom, we know you're going to discover your purpose. I believe God created you with a mission in mind, with, with the way that only you are going to change this city for his gospel and his message. He's made you the way you are, on purpose, for a purpose. And once you have known him and you're beginning to find freedom in him, I believe you will discover your purpose in him. We don't think that there is any two days in somebody's life better than the day he is born and the day he finds out why he was born. We want to be there with you on that second day. And then, simply, because our city is our responsibility, we want you to start to make a difference in that purpose. This is a simple pathway. It's over and over in scripture. That's our vision at The Gathering Church. This is what we've been doing since day one. It's what we're still doing today. Never forget how much your city needs you, what it is we are as a church, and what we are here to do. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and maybe, maybe you've been around a little while and you've been curious and you've been interested or maybe you're here today and you just think, I need that. I need that kind of vulnerability. I need that kind of, I need to know God. I need to feel whole. I need I need to have my heart bound up again. It's as simple a, as a conversation. If you just say this prayer with me, you're beginning a journey that we would just be so honored to walk with you. We'll give you all your next steps. It just starts right here every head bowed, every eye closed. Just say this prayer, Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I believe in you, and I give my life to you, all that I am from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.